0: Chapter Five of Beverly of Graustark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Beverly of Graustark by George Barr McCutcheon. Chapter Five. The Inn of the Hawk and Raven. Two of the men walked close beside the door, one of them bearing a lantern. They conversed in low tones and in a language which Beverly could not understand. After a while she found herself analysing the garb and manner of the men. She was saying to herself that here were her first real specimens of graustark peasantry, and they were to mark an ineffaceable spot in her memory. They were dark, strong-faced men of medium height, with fierce black eyes and long black hair. As no two were dressed alike, it was impossible to recognize characteristic styles of attire. Some were in rude, baggy costumes of the peasant as she had imagined him. Others were dressed in the tight-fitting but dilapidated uniforms of the soldiery, while several were enclosed partly European and partly Oriental. There were hats and fezzes and caps, some with feathers in the bands, others without. The man nearest the coach wore the dirty grey uniform of as army officer, full of holes and rents, while another strode along in a pair of baggy yellow trousers and a dusty London dinner jacket. All in all, it was the motliest band of vagabonds she had ever seen. There were at least ten or a dozen in the party, while a few carried swords or lugged the long rifles and crooked daggers of the Tartars. "'Aunt Fanny,' Beverly whispered, suddenly moving to the side of the subdued servant, "'where is my revolver? It had come to her like a flash.' that a subsequent emergency should not find her unprepared. Aunt Fanny's jaw dropped, and her eyes were like white rings in a black screen. "'Good Lord! What what for, Miss Beverly?' "'Shh! Don't call me Miss Beverly. Now, just you pay attention to me, and I'll tell you something queer. Get my revolver right away, and don't let those men see what you are doing.' While Aunt Fanny's trembling fingers went in search of the firearm, Beverly outlined the situation briefly, but explicitly. The old woman was not slow to understand. Her wits sharpened by fear. She grasped Beverly's instructions with astonishing avidity. "'Farewell, Your Highness,' she said with fine reverence. "'Ah, de bottle of peppermint for you. "'If you just don't mind me pulling and hauling mongst these boxes, "'maybe you'll all drubber a hapty ginger.' "'With this wonderful subterfuge as a shield, "'she dug slyly into one of the bags and pulled forth a revolver. "'Under ordinary circumstances she would have been mortally afraid to touch it, "'but not so in this emergency.' Beverly shoved the weapon into the pocket of her grey travelling jacket. "'I feel much better now, Aunt Fanny,' she said, and Aunt Fanny gave a vast chuckle. "'Yes, ma'am, indeed, your highness,' she agreed suavely. The coach rolled along for half an hour, and then stopped with a sudden jolt. An instant later the tall driver appeared at the window, his head uncovered, a man hard by held a lantern. Qua vando a del tine, yo Siret, said the leader, showing his white teeth in a triumphant smile. His exposed eyes seemed to be glowing with pleasure and excitement. What? murmured Beverly hopelessly. A puzzled expression came into his face. Then his smile deepened and his eye took on a knowing gleam. "'Ah, I see,' he said gaily. "'Your Highness prefers not to speak the language of Graustark. "'It is necessary for me to repeat in English.' "'I really wish you would,' said Beverly, catching her breath. "'Just to see how it sounds, you know. "'Your every wish shall be gratified. "'I beg to inform you that we have reached the Inn of the Hawk and Raven. "'This is where we dwelt last night.' Tomorrow we, too, abandon the place, so our fortunes may run together for some hours at least. There is but little to offer you in the way of nourishment, and there are none of the comforts of a palace. Yet princesses can no more be choosers than beggars when the fare's in one pot. Come, your highness, let me conduct you to the guest-chamber of the Inn of the Hawk and Raven." Beverly took his hand and stepped to the ground, looking about in wonder and perplexity. "'I see no one,' she murmured apprehensively. "'Look aloft, your highness. That great black canopy is the roof. We are standing upon the floor, and the dark shadows just beyond the circle of light are the walls of the hawk and raven. This is the largest tavern in all Graustark." its dimensions are as wide as the world itself. You mean that there is no inn at all, the girl cried in dismay. Alas, I must confess it, and yet there is shelter here. Come with me, let your servant follow. He took her by the hand and led her away from the coach, a ragged lantern-bearer preceding. Beverly's little right hand was rigidly clutching the revolver in her pocket. It was a capacious pocket, and the muzzle of the weapon bored defiantly into a timid powder rag that lay on the bottom. The little leather purse from which it escaped had its silver lips opened as if in a broad grin of derision. Revelling in the plight of the chamois, the guide's hand was at once firm and gentle, his stride bold yet easy. His rakish hat, with its aggressive red feather, towered a full head above Beverly's Parisian violets. Have you no home at all, no house in which to sleep? Beverly managed to ask. I live in a castle of air, said he, waving his hand gracefully. "'I sleep in the house of my father's.' "'You poor fellow!' cried Beverly pityingly. "'He laughed and absently patted the hilt of his sword. "'She heard the men behind them turning the coach into the glen "'through which they walked carefully. "'Her feet fell upon a soft grassy sward, "'and the clatter of stones was now no longer heard. "'They were among the shadowy trees.' gaunt trunks of enormous size looming up in the light of the lanterns. Unconsciously her thoughts went over to the forest of Arden, and the woodland home of Rosalind, as she had imagined it to be. Soon there came to her ears the swish of waters, as of some turbulent river hurrying by. Instinctively she drew back, and her eyes were set with alarm upon the black wall of night ahead yetive had spoken more than once of this wilderness many an unlucky traveller had been lost forever in its fastness it is the river your highness there is no danger i will not lead you into it he said a trifle roughly we are low in the valley and there are marshes yonder when the river is in its natural bed THE FLOODS HAVE COVERED THE LOW GROUNDS, AND THERE IS A torrent COMING DOWN FROM THE HILLS. HERE WE ARE, YOUR HIGHNESS. THIS IS THE INN OF THE HAWK AND RAVEN. HE BOWED AND POINTED WITH HIS HAT TO THE SMOLDERING FIRE A SHORT DISTANCE AHEAD. THEY HAD TURNED A BEND IN THE OVERHANGING CLIFF, AND WERE VERY CLOSE TO THE RETREAT BEFORE SHE SAW THE GLOW. THE FIRE WAS IN THE OPEN AIR and directly in front of a deep cleft in the rocky background. Judging by the sound, the river could not be more than two hundred feet away. Men came up with lanterns, and others piled brush upon the fire. In a very short time the glen was weirdly illuminated by the dancing flames. From her seat on a huge log, Beverly was thus enabled to survey a portion of her surroundings. The overhanging ledge of rock formed a wide, deep canopy, underneath which was perfect shelter. The floor seemed to be rich, grassless loam, and here and there were pallets of long grass, evidently the couches of those homeless men. All about were huge trees— and in the direction of the river the grass grew higher and then gave place to reeds. The foliage above was so dense that the moon and stars were invisible. There was a deathly stillness in the air. The very loneliness was so appalling that Beverly's poor little heart was in a quiver of dread. Aunt Fanny, who sat nearby, had not spoken since leaving the coach, but her eyes were expressively active. The tall leader stood near the fire, conversing with half a dozen of his followers. Miss Calhoun's eyes finally rested upon this central figure in the strange picture. He was attired in a dark grey uniform that reminded her oddly of the dragoon choruses in the comic operas at home. The garments, while torn and soiled, were well fitting. His shoulders were broad and square, his hips narrow, his legs long and straight. There was an air of impudent grace about him that went well with his life and profession. Surely here was a careless freelance, upon whom life weighed lightly, while death stood afar off and despaired. The light of the fire brought his gleaming face into bold relief for his hat was off. Black and thick was his hair, rumpled and apparently uncared for. The face was lean, smooth and strong, with a devil-may-care curve at the corners of the mouth. Beverly found herself lamenting the fact that such an interesting face should be marred by an ugly black patch covering she knew not what manner of defect. As for the rest of them, they were a grim company. Some were young and beardless, others were old and grisly, but all were active, alert and strong. The leader appeared to be the only one in the party who could speak and understand the English language. As Beverly sat and watched his virile mocking face, and studied his graceful movements, she found herself wondering how an ignorant, homeless wanderer in the hills could be so poetic and so cultured as this fellow seemed to be. Three or four men, who were unmistakably of a lower order than their companions, set about preparing a supper. Others unhitched the tired horses and led them off toward the river. Two dashing young fellows carried the seat cushions under the rocky canopy, and constructed an elaborate couch for the princess. The chief, with his own hands, soon began the construction of a small chamber in this particular corner of the cave near the opening. The walls of the chamber were formed of carriage robes and blankets, cloaks and oak branches, THE GUEST CHAMBER, YOUR HIGHNESS, HE SAID, APPROACHING HER WITH A SMILE AT THE CONCLUSION OF HIS WORK. IT HAS BEEN MOST INTERESTING TO WATCH YOU, SHE SAID, RISING, AND IT HAS BEEN A DELIGHT TO INTEREST YOU, HE RESPONDED. YOU WILL FIND SECLUSION THERE, AND YOU NEED SEE NONE OF US UNTIL IT PLEASES YOU. SHE LOOKED him FAIRLY IN THE EYE FOR A MOMENT and then impulsively extended her hand. He clasped it warmly, but not without some show of surprise. "'I am trusting you implicitly,' she said. "'The knave is glorified,' was his simple rejoinder. He conducted her to the improvised bedchamber. "'Aunt Fanny following, with loyal but uncertain tread. "'I regret, your highness.' that the conveniences are so few. We have no landlady except Mother Earth, no waiters, no porters, no maids in the inn of the Hawk and Raven. This being a men's hotel, the baths are on the river front. I am having water brought to your apartments, however, but it is with deepest shame and sorrow that I confess we have no towels." She laughed so heartily that his face brightened perceptibly, whilst the faces of his men turned in their direction as though by concert. "'It is a typical mountain resort, then,' she said. "'I think I can manage very well if you will fetch my bags to my room, sir. By the way, will you have dinner served in your room?' Very good-humouredly. "'If you don't mind,' I'd like to eat in the public dining room, said she. A few minutes later Beverly was sitting upon one of her small trunks, and Aunt Fanny was laboriously brushing her dark hair. It's very jolly being a princess, murmured Miss Calhoun. She had bathed her face in one of the leather buckets from the coach, and the dust of the road had been brushed away. "'by the vigorous lady in waiting. "'Yes, ma'am, Miss Your Highness, "'it's a monstrous fine for you, "'but where is you goin' to sleep? "'Out yonder, with all those scallywags," "'said Aunt Fanny rebelliously. "'You shall have a bed in here, Aunt Fanny,' said Beverly. das the queerest lot of tramps. "'Ah, ever did see. "'And, ah, wouldn't trust em as far as I.' "'could eve a brick house. "'But the leader is such a very courteous gentleman,' "'remonstrated Beverly. "'Yes, ma'am, he must have came from Gorgia or Camtack, "'was Aunt Fanny's sincere compliment. "'The Persuado Princess dined with the vagabonds that night. "'She sat on the log beside the tall leader "'and ate heartily of the broth and broiled goat meat, "'the grapes and the nuts,' and drunk of the spring water which took the place of wine and coffee and cordial. It was a strange supper amid strange environments, but she enjoyed it as she had never before enjoyed a meal. The air was full of romance and danger, and her imagination was enthralled. Everything was so new and unreal that she scarcely could believe herself awake. The world seemed to have gone back to the days of Robin Hood and his merry men. You fare well at the inn at the Hawk and Raven, she said to him, her voice tremulous with excitement. He looked mournfully at her for a moment, and then smiled naively. It is the first wholesome meal we have had in two days, he replied. You don't mean it, Yes, we are lucky with the guns today. Fate was kind to us, and to you, for we are better prepared to entertain royalty today than at any other time since I have been in the hills of Graustark. Then you have not always lived in Graustark? Alas, no, your highness. I have lived elsewhere. But you were born in the principality? I am a subject of its princess in heart from this day forth, but not by birth or condition. I am a native of the vast domain known to a few of us as Circumstance, and he smiled rather recklessly. You are a poet, a delicious poet, cried Beverly, forgetting herself in her enthusiasm. Perhaps that is why I am hungry and unshorn. It had not occurred to me in that light, When you are ready to retire, your highness, he said abruptly, rising, we shall be pleased to consider the Inn of the Hawk and Raven closed for the night. Having feasted well, we should sleep well. We have a hard day before us. With your consent, I shall place my couch of grass near your door. I am the porter. You have but to call if anything is desired. She was tired but she could have sat up all night rather than miss any of the strange romance that had been thrust upon her. But Sir Redfeather's suggestion savoured of a command, and she reluctantly made her way to the flapping blanket that marked the entrance to the bed-chamber. He drew the curtain aside, swung his hat low, and muttered, "'A soft good-night.' "'May your highness's dreams be pleasant once,' he said. "'Thank you, sir,' said she, and the curtain dropped impertinently. "'That was very cool of him, I must say,' she added, as she looked at the wavering door. When she went to sleep she never knew. She was certain that her eyes were rebellious for a long time, and that she wondered how her grey dress would look after she had slept in it all night.' She heard low singing as if in the distance, but after a while the stillness became so intense that its pressure almost suffocated her. The rush of the river grew louder and louder, and there was a swishing sound that died in her ears, almost as she wondered what it meant. Her last waking thoughts were of the Black Patch poet. Was he lying near the door? She was awakened in the middle of the night by the violent flapping of her chamber door. Startled, she sat bolt upright and strained her eyes to pierce the mysterious darkness. Aunt Fanny, on her bed of grass stirred convulsively, but did not awake. The blackness of the strange chamber was broken ever and anon by faint flashes of light from without and she lived through long minutes of terror before it dawned upon her that a thunderstorm was brewing. The wind was rising, and the night seemed agog with excitement. Beverly crept from her couch and felt her way to the fluttering doorway. Drawing aside the blanket, she peered forth into the night, her heart jumping with terror. Her Highness was very much afraid of thunder and lightning. The fire in the open had died down until naught remained but a few glowing embers. These were blown into brilliancy by the wind, casting a steady red light over the scene. There was but one human figure in sight. Beside the fire stood the tall wanderer. He was hatless and coatless, and his arms were folded across his chest. Seemingly oblivious to the approach of the storm, he stood staring into the heap of ashes at his feet. His face was toward her, every feature plainly distinguishable in the faint glow from the fire. To her amazement the black patch was missing from the eye, and what surprised her almost to the point of exclaiming aloud, there appeared to be absolutely no reason for its presence there at any time. There was no mark or blemish upon or about the eye. It was as clear and penetrating as its fellow, darkly gleaming in the red glow from below. Moreover, Beverly saw that he was strikingly handsome, a strong, manly face. The highly imaginative southern girl's mind "'reverted to the first portraits of Napoleon she had seen. "'Suddenly he started, threw up his head, "'and looking up to the sky, uttered some strange words. "'Then he strode abruptly toward her doorway. "'She fell back breathless. "'He stopped just outside, "'and she knew that he was listening for sounds from within.' After many minutes she stealthily looked forth again. He was standing near the fire, his back toward her, looking off into the night. The wind was growing stronger. The breezes fanned the night into a rush of shivery coolness. Constant flickerings of light illuminated the forest, transforming the tree-tops into great black waves. Tall reeds along the river bank began to bend their tops, to swing themselves gently to and from the wind. In the lowlands down from the cave, willow the wisps played tag with jack-o'-lanterns, merrily scampering about in the blackness, reminding her of the revellers in a famous brocken scene. Low moans grew out of the havoc and voices seemed to speak unintelligible whispers to the agitated twigs and leaves. The secrets of the wind were being spread upon the records of the night, tales of many climes passed through the ears of nature. From gentle undulations the marshland reeds swept into lower dips. Dance-wilder minuets lashed each other with infatuated glee, mocking the whistle of the wind with an angry swish of their tall bodies. Around the cornices of the inn of the hawk and raven scurried the singing breezes, reluctant to leave a playground so pleasing to the fancy. Soon the night became a cauldron, a surging, hissing, roaring receptacle, in which were missing the ingredients of disaster. Night birds flapped through the moaning treetops in search of shelter. Reeds were flattened to the earth, bowing to sovereignty of the wind. Clouds roared with the rumble of a million chariots, and then the sky and the earth met in one of those savage conflicts that make all other warfare seem as play. As Beverly sunk back from the crash, she saw him throw his arms aloft as though inviting the elements to mass themselves and their energy upon his head. She shrieked involuntarily, and he heard the cry above the carnage. Instantly his face was turned in her direction. Help! Help! she cried. He bounded toward the swishing robes and blankets, but his impulse had found a rival in the blast. Like a flash the walls of the guest-chamber were whisked away, scuttling off into the night or back into the depths of the cavern. With the deluge came the man. From among the stifling robes he snatched her up and bore her away. She knew not whither. End of Chapter 5